We are continuing uh, our series called Unnamed. And, uh, and this is a series uh, all about unnamed people of the Bible, specifically women. What we see is that um, these unnamed characters of the Bible, they enter into the story and they teach us something very important. They teach us like, this, this really important value and then they exit the story almost as like, mysteriously as they came, um, all while not really even receiving a name. And uh, this week, as you heard from our students, we are um, reading, uh, learning about the unnamed woman known as Pharaoh's daughter. And, um, and, and what Pharaoh's daughter teaches us about is how the importance of compassion. And, and, and I don't know about you, but compassion is kind of a hard concept for me. I, uh, I have compassion for the people I have compassion for. Right? And, and then there's kind of this category of like everyone else. You know, maybe, maybe that's the same for you. Maybe, maybe not. Maybe, maybe you have a lot of compassion. Maybe God has blessed you with that, and I'm so glad. But, um, and, I, and I find that that lack of compassion really kind of gets in the way of my job sometimes. And um, particularly at one point, uh, I was a pastor in Oklahoma, and I was um, deaning or, or co-deaning a, a, um, a youth ministry camp. Um, this was a, a, a summer camp, a week long, for um, students within the United Methodist Connection um, all over what we call the Metro District, kind of like around the Oklahoma City area. And, uh, this was a week-long camp that a friend of mine, uh, Allie, and I had been preparing for to, to lead these students for. We had worship, we had small groups, we had all these things planned. And, and one of the things we needed uh, to make sure that we had for that camp was a nurse. And I found out this was one of the most difficult parts of the job of deaning a camp because you had to find like the sweet spot of a nurse. You had to find a nurse that was um, like really compassionate enough um, to really like want to be at camp all week with these kids, um, but w w was kind of organized and, and maybe a little bit stern enough to make sure that the students took the medicine they needed in order to live, right? Like th that was pretty important. And so um, we had found this nurse, and, and, and she was really just the, the, one of the most compassionate people I had met. And, and what we realized is this kind of got in the way. Um, you know, a student came up, and it kind of turned their ankle. Um, and, and, and this nurse was just the most loving presence to this young person. And, oh, my gosh, come on in. You know, gave them an ice pack, sat them down. Um, and then, you know, a little bit later, you know, had them elevate it. A little bit later, the student started to leave. She said, how is it? And I said, well, it still kind of hurts a little bit. And so she gave the student crutches as they left. And, and, and other students saw that this young person got crutches after a turned ankle. And so what we started to see is, other students with turned ankles that would come to the nurse and, and just want to be loved on by this nurse. And, 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 what, and, and the nurse had three sets of crutches, all of them given away within a matter of an hour after giving away one set of crutches, right? And, and, um, and, and one of those young people um, was a young woman, and, and, um, and, and, I, and I really struggled to have, you know, compassion for these kids who were, you know, hobbling around and really milking it for all it was worth, you know, with, with, their, with, with their small injuries. And, and finally, one of the young women came to me with, with all of her friends around, and she came to me. I was standing in front of the nurse's cabin, and she said, I think I need to call my mom. I think I need to go home. 
Um, you know, it just hurts too bad. And I said, okay, well, fine. Um, you know, just go on into the nurse's cabin, and you can call, you can call your parent. And, and uh, she was about to go up the ramp, and I said, well, you know, um, you can actually, you know, the ramp is kind of a long, meandering way. It's going to take you forever. You're not really navigating those crutches very well. You can go upstairs on crutches. You just have to put your foot down first uh, and then pull the crutches up later. And, and so she went to the steps, and she put her hurt foot down first and said like this, and I just kind of shrugged my shoulders at her, and then she picked up her next foot, and then she tripped with her crutches, and she slammed her hurt foot down on the stairs as she was going up the steps, and, and I just kind of threw my arms up and looked at the other adults with me and, and was just like, can you, can you believe this, you know? And so she went in, you know, called, uh, you know, called her mom, and, and uh, mom came and picked her up, and the next morning I was walking by the nurse's cabin. And, uh, and she said, you know that, that young woman who, who went home uh, yesterday evening? And I said, yes. And she said, broke her foot in three places. And that is why you treat every injury seriously, <laughs> right? Um, uh, sometimes, sometimes my lack of compassion gets in the way. Have you ever experienced this? Uh, some of us have you know, struggled with this kind of lack of compassion for the people we lack compassion for and and maybe we've even like you know felt a little guilty about that and so we've done something kind of half-heartedly to help those people and and what we've realized is really like helping half-heartedly feels about as good as not doing anything at all right or or maybe maybe you have this this really loving presence and you have compassion but but you you have compassion for just just about everybody you meet you know and 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 what you find is that compassion really kind of gets in the way of other things it's really difficult to be engaged in in so many different areas whenever your compassion is is just poured out for all these different groups of people whatever the case my hope is is that 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 by the end of this morning we would be released from guilt and shame, that we would be released from guilt and shame about our lack of compassion we have for other groups, but that we would be empowered to act. We would be emboldened to act into the compassion that God has placed on your heart. And that's what we learn this morning from the unnamed woman of Pharaoh's daughter. We, we come to this passage in Exodus chapter 2. If you have your Bible with you, if you're at home and, and you have your Bible with you, or, or if you're here, use your phone app, however you engage with the Bible. I encourage you to do that this morning. We're going to be in Exodus chapter 2. But before we get there, a little backstory. So in Exodus, the Hebrew people, God's people, are enslaved in Egypt. And what Pharaoh soon realizes is that the Hebrews are beginning to outnumber the Egyptians. And, and Pharaoh becomes very afraid, thinking that, you know, if these Hebrews outnumber us, if they outnumber us, then, then they will just take over Egypt. And, and so the, the Pharaoh makes an edict um, that, that all of the um, Hebrew boy children that are born should be put to death. And, and so this is what happens. And, and what we realize is that there are kind of like many different ways that the Hebrews kind of get around this. There are some, there are some Hebrew midwives that, you know, just kind of like don't do it. And when Pharaoh asks them, and like, hey, what happened? And they're like, well, they just delivered him before we could get there. Sorry, but there's nothing we could do. Um, they're, they're kind of getting around this. And what we read about is another woman who has kind of gotten around this edict as well. Again, we read about it in Exodus chapter 2. We're going to begin in verse 1. Uh, there, there was a man in the house of Levi who went and married a Levite woman. 
The woman conceived and bore a son, and she saw that he was a fine baby, and she hid him for three months. When she could hide him no longer, she got a papyrus basket for him and plastered it with bitumen and pitch. She put the child in it and placed it among the reeds of the bank of the river. His sister stood at a distance to see what would happen to him. Can you imagine the desperation of this mother? Right, the, the desperation of this mother to, to hide an infant for three months? How do you even do, anybody who has had a child like, just like wonders in their mind how they could do that. How, how can you hide a child? And, and so the desperation of a mother to hide her son for three months and then the desperation, the desperation to, to like make this basket and just like seal it as best you can and then place that basket in the river in the river. And so we read about what happens, right? We read that, that the daughter of Pharaoh, in Exodus chapter 2, verse 5, the daughter of Pharaoh came to bathe at the river while her attendants walked beside the river. And she saw the basket among the reeds and sent her maid to bring it. And when she opened it, she saw the child. He was crying and she took pity on him. This must be one of the Hebrews' children, she said. Now, if you've seen like depictions of the Exodus in a in a movie or or in another stint, uh, in another way, um, we kind of see that that um, you know Moses's mom places the basket just kind of like in the river and like sends it down the river, hoping uh, that that somebody will pick it up. Maybe that's what happened, or maybe um, Moses's mother knew where Pharaoh's daughter bathed. Right? Maybe she knew what was going to happen, and so she placed it, Scripture says, among the reeds. Right? It wouldn't move, likely, among the reeds. And so she placed it among the reeds and then maybe retreated and left um, older sister there to watch what would happen because it would be too conspicuous for a mother there to be watching this basket. Regardless of what happened, Pharaoh's daughter comes along with her attendants and coming along the river. And, and, and Pharaoh's daughter hears this going on and she points out to one of her attendants who goes and gets the basket and brings it to her. And, and Scripture says that, that she took pity on the child. That's in the New Revised Standard Version. Um, Eugene Peterson in the Message Version says this in chapter 2, verse 6. She opened the basket and saw the child, a baby crying, and her heart went out to him. Her heart went out to him. Pharaoh's daughter had compassion. She knew about the edict that had been made. She knew what was happening. She was Pharaoh's daughter. She was in the know. She was, she, she was in the palace whenever these decisions were being made. She could hear the decisions being talked about from down the hall. She could hear the cries outside her window. She knew what was happening. But it wasn't real until she saw a child in a basket in the river. It wasn't real until it affected her. And what we learn about is that she had compassion for this child. She had compassion for what the Hebrews were going through. The word compassion literally means to suffer together. I love that idea, to suffer together. Right, because we can have, like, we can, we can feel, like, sympathy for other people. 
You know, we can see what other people are going through and we can think, isn't that bad for them? You know, that, that, that's terrible for them. I, I hate that for them. But when we have empathy, when we have compassion, it is not this distant thing. It is, it is not this thing that is out there that is apart from us that we can just disassociate ourselves from. When we have compassion for someone else, it affects us. Pharaoh's daughter might have had sympathy for what the Hebrews were going through. She might have even felt bad for the mothers that were having to go through this awful event. She might have even felt bad for for the men whose children were, were being slain. But until she saw a child in the river, until she came into contact, she had no compassion. And so Pharaoh's daughter takes compassion for this child that has been placed in the river. She takes compassion for her, his mother who has gone to these extremes. And so this thing happens. Again, in Exodus chapter 2, now we're in verse 7. That then his sister, who had been watching all this go on, right? Uh, mom placed the, the baby in the basket among the reeds. And then she went off and she left the sister there to see what would happen. And when the sister saw Pharaoh's daughter take up this child out of the river, the, the sister goes to Pharaoh. This very clever plan, the sister goes to Pharaoh and she says, shall I go and get you a nurse from the Hebrew women to nurse the child for you? And Pharaoh's daughter said to her, yes. So the girl went and called the child's mother. Pharaoh's daughter said to her, take this child and nurse it for me and I will give you your wages. So the woman took the child and nursed it. And when the child grew up, she brought him to Pharaoh's daughter and she took him as her son. She named him Moses because she said, I drew him out of the water. Hebrew, in Hebrew culture, as Hebrews were sharing this story, Hebrews always wanted to share stories about how they were craftier than, than others, right? Why is that? Because the nation of Israel was a smaller nation, and they knew that they didn't have the military force to combat all of these opposing forces. And so if they were going to overcome them, it wasn't going to be by sheer force, but it was going to be by craftiness. It was going to be because they were scrappy. They were smarter than the other people. And so they would share these stories. They would share and repeat these stories about how they had tricked the Egyptians even into paying Moses's mother to care for her own child. Right? And so Hebrews would share this story. But here Pharaoh's daughter is and, and she kind of puts all these things back together. Right? She, she encountered this moment. She encountered this thing that, that, that was completely disjointed. A child is not supposed to be in a basket. A child is not supposed to be in a river. She encountered this moment that was broken. And because of her compassion, she even unwittingly unites the child with his mother. And that's what compassion does. My hope and my prayer this morning is that we would tap into our compassion, that, that we would tap into that thing that God has for us to do. 
Here's what I want to share with us this morning. It's a quote, but before I do, I hope that we will pay attention just this morning. Like, like if you don't pay attention to anything else, if you were asleep, like wake up, okay? This is it. This is the moment. Uh, this, is, uh, this is the most important thing that I can say to us this morning. If you were a student this morning who is trying to discern a calling, if you're trying to say like, what am I going to be doing with the rest of my life? If you're at, if you're at a job and, and you've been working really hard to get to the place that you can in your job, and you got there and you realized it wasn't what you wanted, if, if you looked around at your life and you found yourself unsatisfied, if you find yourself in any of these positions, I hope that you will hear this this morning. This is a quote by Frederick Buechner, who's a theologian. He says this, the place God calls you, the place God calls you to is the place where your deep gladness and the world's deep hunger meet. Listen to that again. Let's leave that up there for just a second, Jackie. The place where God calls you to is the place where your deep gladness and the world's deep hunger meet. The place where your deep gladness, the thing that you get the most joy from in your life, But not only that, not just a place where you are the happiest, not just the place where you get the most joy, but also the place that this like Venn diagram where it like oversects with the world's deep hunger, that the world is yearning for this thing to happen. The world needs more of this. And you say that that overlaps with my deep joy. That is where God calls you to be. Now, this may be a vocation for you. It may be a job. It may be a thing that you get paid to do. Or it may be the thing that your job empowers you to do. It it may be the thing that your job finances you to do. It it may be the thing that you're called to do if, if you stay at home, if you're with your children or with your family. It may be the thing that you get called to do if you are a young person and you're still going through school and still trying to figure out all of this regardless. The thing that God calls you to do is where your great joy and the world's deep hunger meet. Maybe you say, you know what, I, I, I really just... I, I, I love getting to share advice with friends. I love listening to them and telling them back what I hear from them. And what you realize is that now more than ever, our world needs emotional helpers. They, they need people to listen. Maybe that's where you were called to be. Maybe you say, you know, I, there are people who are hungry. There are people who are, who are literally starving for food. And, and I just feel moved to go and do something for them. Whatever the case, the place God calls you to is the place where your deep gladness and the world's deep hunger meet. And I hope that if you don't remember anything this morning that you remember, remember that. And so I want to encourage you this week. I want to encourage you this week just to to practice something, just to discern where that is. And I want to give us a few examples, places that we can engage with this morning. This is not just like some philosophical thought, right? I hope we don't leave here and just think, well, I'm so glad I got that head knowledge now, but that we not only have that head knowledge so that we can get that hand knowledge, right? So that we can do something with it. And so here's my hope and my prayer. Maybe you say, you know what? I, I, I know that there are hungry people out there. 
In fact, the Texas Hunger Initiative says that over 27% of children under 18 in Dallas live in households that have experienced food insecurity in the past year. What does that mean? There are children. There are children who don't know where their next meal will come from. And you say, you know what? That is the thing. That is where God has placed his, this compassion in my heart to help them. If, if that's the case, then you can participate next Saturday. In six days, you can be right here in this room in Asbury to help with food distribution. We have a graphic here. On Saturdays, on Saturdays from 9 to 11, we distribute food to hundreds of people who come through this parking lot looking for fresh produce. If you say, you know what, I am moved because there are children who don't know where the next meal will come from, you can do something about that. And that can be where your deep joy and the world's deep hunger meet. And you say, you know what, I, 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 I am moved with, for the emotionally unhealthy. I, I feel compassion towards them that you know that the CDC reported that in the U.S. in late June of 2020, 31 respondents reported symptoms of anxiety or depression. Listen to this. 26% reported stress-related symptoms. 13 reported, 13% reported having started an increased substance abuse. And 11, 11% reported having serious thoughts of suicide in the past 30 days. There is an emotional health epidemic in our country right now. And you say, you know what, that, that, that overlaps. I, I, I have a deep compassion, I have a deep joy for helping those people. You can be moved to a number of different things. Maybe you are called to be a licensed professional counselor. Maybe you're called to be a therapist, a psychologist, to enter into the professional field of, of emotional health, or maybe... Or maybe you're just moved to encourage a friend to seek counseling, to, to reduce the stigma of people who have gone to counseling, who have maybe you yourself are, are called to go to counseling so that you can promote it to your friends and say, I do it. I myself have engaged in counseling and it is one of the greatest decisions I've made in my life. Maybe, maybe you say, you know what, I, I am moved to compassion for people who are in the hospital, who are people in need of blood. And you know that the Red Cross distributes 40% of the nation's blood supply for people who have sickle cell anemia, mothers giving birth, cancer patients, those who have experienced accidents, and you know that their supplies have been seriously depleted in COVID. If you say, you know what, I am moved to compassion for people who are in need of blood, you can do something today. From, from 1.30 to 7.30 at our Walnut Hill Church campus, you can give blood. You can give blood that will inconvenience you for 30 minutes, but will save three lives from your one donation. And you say, you know, my, my joy is that I get to help people, and that overlaps with the world's deepest need for life-saving blood. Or maybe you say, you know, I, I have compassion for, for people who don't have a church community. I have compassion for people who, who don't know another group of people who just love them for, for no other reason than because God first loved them. I have compassion for people who are in desperate need of just some loving community around them. And that you know that in our area, more than 57% of people don't have a church home. I want to say that again. In our area, in your neighborhood, 
of people do not have a church home, what does that mean? If you encounter your neighbor, they're more likely not to have a church home than have one. And you say, you know what, my, my, my greatest joy is connecting people. I, I love introducing people. I, I love inviting people to parties. I, I love bringing people with me to gatherings. I, I really enjoy that. And, and that can overlap with the world's deepest need of 57% of your neighbors needing a church home. I hope and I pray with everything that I am that you will understand that the compassion that you have was placed there by God. When, when God formed you, Jeremiah, the prophet, said that God knit us together in our mother's womb, that when God was doing that, God smiled as he thought about your heart. And God said, these are my children. This entire world is my children. And I have created this one so that this one will have compassion for this group. That this one will have this compassion so much so. That he will change the world, that, that she will change the world, that they will transform this world through their neighborhood, that they will transform this world through their friend group, through their family, through whatever it is that God smiled. As God made you and knew that compassion that was on your heart. Let us pray. God, I am so thankful that you have created us, that you have made us. And I pray now that you would send down your Holy Spirit upon us. God, that, that spirit that empowers, that spirit that emboldens, that spirit that energizes us to go out into your world and actually do something about what we have heard this morning, I pray that you would send it to us. so that we can be moved with compassion, that we can pluck your children up out of the river, that we can co-suffer with your people. I pray by the power of the Holy Spirit in the name of Jesus Christ, who came and taught us even how to pray by saying, our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come, Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever.